So, Squirrel will say something about yeah, it. Yeah, sure. he will. He will. Decidedly Christian, distinctly biblical, and just a little bit nuts. This is Squirrel Chatter. And welcome to the Piney Woods, ladies and gentlemen. I am your Squirrel, the host, coming to you from the Aaron Studios, high atop the tallest tree in the Piney Woods. So good to have you with us. It is Wednesday, the 22nd day of February, in the year of our Lord, 2023. And this is Squirrel Chatter, a podcast dedicated to scripture, theology, history, current events, and whatever else I want to talk about. And we webcast every day, Monday through Friday at 7.30 a.m. Mountain Time on Twitter, Facebook, and Twitch. And then you can find the podcast wherever fine podcasts are found. Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, etc., etc., etc. If you look for Squirrel Chatter on your podcast app, that your trusted place for podcasts, and you can't find it, drop me an email at squirrelchatter at protonmail.com and I'll rectify that. Um, I'm on a lot of them, but uh, I don't even have, I don't even think I have an exhaustive list. <laughs> also a proud member of the Christian Podcast Community, head on over to christianpodcastcommunity.com and check out all the great curated podcasts like the one I mentioned, was it yesterday or the day before? that my friend Wayne Floyd does. It's called Faith Comes by Hearing. I couldn't remember the name. Great podcast. Um, and uh, Eki and, and Nathaniel's Truth Be Known podcast, they just dropped a, a great episode yesterday, I think. Um, also, just highly recommended. There are many more podcasts. Um, there's so many podcasts, I can't listen to them all. I gave up trying. Um, like I said, there's over 50 podcasts. They're all going to be doctrinally sound, although they're not going to be monolithic. You're not going to get, uh, you know, we're, we're united in essential matters, but there is a variety in, in secondary and tertiary viewpoints on doctrine. But I commend it to you. You are certain to find something worth listening to. All right, coming up on the show today, we have prayers from the 1552 Book of Common Prayer. We have a reading from John MacArthur's Daily Readings from the Life of Christ. And we resume our study Bible level Bible study. We're starting Deuteronomy chapter 5 today. So let us, as is our usual practice, begin with the prayer of confession from the 1552 Book of Common Prayer. It's always a good idea to start the day by coming before the Lord with confession and expressing repentance and remorse and a penitent spirit and asking for forgiveness. And so that's why we do this at the beginning of every episode. Let us pray. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from thy ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against thy holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done, and there is no health in us. But thou, O Lord, have mercy upon us, miserable offenders. Spare thou them, O God, which confess their faults. Restore thou them that are penitent, according to thy promises declared unto mankind in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
and grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may hereafter live a godly, righteous, and sober life. To the glory of thy holy name. Amen. Now our reading from John MacArthur's Daily Readings from the Life of Christ. Jesus Refuses to Test God Then the devil took him into the city, into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. Matthew 4.5 In confronting our Lord Jesus Christ, Satan persisted in trying to undermine or destroy the son's relationship to his father. This time he goaded Jesus with this statement, If you are the son of God, throw yourself down. To fortify his challenge and make it more plausible, the adversary, with a subtle and clever twist, quoted scripture. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. That's from Psalm 91, 11, and 12. Now Satan surely had Christ backed into a corner, he likely reasoned, using his misguided and evil sense of logic. If the Messiah lives only according to the word of God, then I should confront him with something from that word. If Jesus wouldn't use his own, proper, his own power to help himself and meet his immediate needs, maybe he would let God work on his behalf. After all, this was a scriptural test, according to Satan. Jesus could thus let God fulfill a promise from Psalms and prove to others that he was indeed God's Son and Messiah. But no matter how persuasive Satan's argument, Undergirded with a proof text may have sounded. Jesus did not agree to it, not wanting to presumptuously test God or jump ahead of the divine timetable for the Savior's redemptive ministry. Ask yourself, yes, Scripture can be turned and twisted to suit anyone's ends. What safeguards do you have in place against the misusing of the Word of God while still maintaining a bold, believing faith in its sense of direction? Ask the Spirit to guide you in its truth. That's his job. John 16.13 All right. Back to Deuteronomy. First, I want to let you know that I did have a little bit of time to uh, do a search. Mm. Oh, that is Squirrely Joe's Coffee House Blend is what I'm drinking in my cup today. Another coffee company which doesn't sponsor the show. Nobody sponsors the show. I have no sponsors. Just the way it is. You know, you think Legacy Standard Bible? No, no. Actually, I haven't asked anybody for sponsors. I'm not looking for sponsors. <laughs> Just whining. All right. Uh, I did not find anything in my searching yesterday regarding what was to be done in cases of accidental death prior to the establishment of the cities of refuge, which is what we were looking at yesterday. So what did they do during the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness when they were in the camps? Well, as I said, I didn't find anything. There wasn't a specific provision. So I broadened my search and just kind of looked for, you know, how they dealt with court cases in general. And judgment fell to Moses and to the leaders that he had appointed. Now, we just looked at this back in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 9 through 18. Moses is speaking. He says, And I spoke to you at that time, saying, I am not able to bear the burden of you alone. Yahweh your God has multiplied you, and behold, you are 
this day like the stars of heaven in number. May Yahweh, the God of your fathers, increase you a thousandfold more than you are and bless you just as he has promised. How can I alone bear the load and burden of you and your strife? Choose wise and understanding and experienced men from your tribes, and I will appoint them as your heads. Then you answered me and said, The thing which you have said to do is good. So I took the heads of your tribes, wise and experienced men, and gave them as heads over you, leaders of thousands and of hundreds, of fifties and of tens, and officers for your tribes. Then I commanded your judges at that time, saying, Hear the cases between your brothers, and judge righteously between a man and his brother or the sojourner who is with him. You shall not show partiality in judgment. You shall hear the small and the great alike. You shall not fear man, for the judgment is God's. The case that is too hard for you, you shall bring to me, and I will hear it. And I commanded you at that time all the things that you should do. So, since Israel is in the camp, they're all together at once. They're all in the same place. There was no need for a place to flee to because there wasn't anywhere to go. They, they, there was nowhere to go, and, and so they, they didn't have to go hide somewhere or not hide. They, they, I think the cities of refuge were not entered in hiding. They were entered openly, and everybody knew they were there. They were just safe there. There wasn't a need for a safe place to sanctuary until standing trial because the judges were right there to decide the case. There was no need for anything more elaborate. And so that was the, the situation while they were in the camp. So that was a little carryover from yesterday. I said I hadn't looked into that yesterday, and I wanted to look at that today. All right, well, we are in Deuteronomy chapter 5. I want to look at the first five verses today. This is the introduction to the Ten Commandments. Then Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the judgments which I am speaking today in your hearing, that you may learn them and be careful to do them. Yahweh our God cut a covenant with us at Horeb, Yahweh did not cut this covenant with our fathers, but with us, with all those of us alive here today. Yahweh spoke to you face to face at the mountain from the midst of the fire. I was standing between Yahweh and you at that time to declare to you the word of Yahweh, for you were afraid because of the fire and did not go up the mountain. So this is the Ten Commandments being repeated anew for a new generation. Now, I don't think this is the first time in 40 years that Moses has taught the Ten Commandments. Uh, he would have been a faithful Bible teacher, and he would have been constantly instructing the people of Israel in what God had said. I really have no doubt of that. So for 40 years, in the wilderness, in the wandering of the wilderness, he was um, teaching them the Ten Commandments. But remember, the entire generation that refused to enter the promised land had died. So we'll get to that more about that in a minute. So this is probably not the first time they've been taught since they were handed down at Sinai, but this is the first time they've been recorded again in the scriptures. 
So today I want to look at these five verses of inter introduction. But first, I think it would be profitable for us to go back to Exodus 19 and look at Exodus 19 and 20 to remind ourselves of the situation where God gave the Ten Commandments out Mount Sinai the first time he, they were recited to Israel from the mouth of God himself. So Exodus chapter 19. In the third month after the sons of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on this day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. Then they set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness, and there Israel camped in front of the mountain. Now Moses went up to God, and Yahweh called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus shall you say to the house of Jacob, and tell the sons of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I lifted you up on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. So now then, if you will indeed listen to my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words which Yahweh had commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, All that Yahweh has spoken we will do. And Moses brought back the words of the people to Yahweh. Yahweh said to Moses, Behold, I will come to you in a thick cloud, so that the people may hear when I speak to you and may also believe in you forever. Then Moses told the words of the people to Yahweh. Yahweh also said to Moses, Go to the people, and set them apart as holy today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments, and let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day Yahweh will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set bounds for the people all around, saying, Beware that you do not go up on the mountain or touch the border of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or surely shot through, whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the ram's horn sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people, and set the people apart as holy, and they washed their garments. And he said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. So it happened on the third day, when it was morning, that there were thunder and lightning flashes and a thick cloud upon the mountain, and a very loud trumpet sound, so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was all in smoke, because Yahweh descended upon it in fire, and its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace. And the whole mountain trembled violently, and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Then Moses spoke, and God answered him with thunder. And Yahweh came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and Yahweh called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. Then Yahweh spoke to Moses, Go down, warn the people, lest they break through to Yahweh to see many of them perish, and many of them perish. Also, let the priests who come near to Yahweh set themselves apart as holy, lest Yahweh break out against them. 
And Moses said to Yahweh, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you warned us, saying, Set bounds without the mountain, and set it apart as holy. Then Yahweh said to him, Go down and come up again, you and Aaron with you, but do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to Yahweh, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am Yahweh your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, or any likeness of what is in heaven above, or on the earth beneath, or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, Yahweh your God, am a jealous God, visiting visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of Yahweh your God in vain, for Yahweh will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of Yahweh your God. In it you you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female slave, or your cattle or your sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days Yahweh made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore Yahweh blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be prolonged in the land which Yahweh your God gives you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male slave or his female slave or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. And all the people perceived the thunder and lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountains smoking, and the people perceived it, and they shook and stood at a difference, at a distance. Then they said to Moses, Speak to us yourself, and we will listen, but let not God speak to us, lest we die. And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid, for God has come in order to test you, and in order that the fear of him may be with you, so that you may not sin. So the people stood at a distance, but Moses came near the dense gloom where God was. Now, it's good to go back and look at that, I think. Did you notice that God spoke the Ten Commandments to all Israel? He didn't just give the Ten Commandments to Moses on the mountain. He would later give the tablets of the Ten Commandments to Moses on the mountain. But the Ten Commandments were actually given orally by God in an audible voice heard by the entire nation. And their reaction was to be filled with terror. The reaction was to tell Moses, you go talk to God, you come back and tell us what he said. We don't want to hear his voice anymore because we're going to die. The fear of the Lord came upon them in that sense. It was a fearful dread. It was not, uh, sad to say, most of Israel wasn't saved. As they died in the wilderness, the writer 
to the Hebrews in the New Testament says that they died in unbelief. So that generation that perished were, for the most part, not entirely, but for the most part, unbelievers who had witnessed the exodus, who had been brought out of Egypt by the mighty hand of God, they were mostly unbelievers. God works in remnants. I don't believe faith in God has ever been the majority, even in Israel during the exodus. So now in Deuteronomy 5, Moses is recounting the Ten Commandments to Israel. He says here in verse, chapter 5, verse 1, Then Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the judgments which I am speaking today in your hearing, that you may learn them and be careful to do them. This is very important. Learn the law and obey the law. Israel was under the law. They were required to obey the law. There were penalties for disobeying the law. But the law was never a means of salvation. Because the only way you can be saved by keeping the law is to keep it absolutely perfect in thought, word, and deed from conception to death. The only person who has ever done that is the Lord Jesus Christ. So in a sense, we are saved by the keeping of the law, but we're saved by Christ's keeping of the law. We are saved by grace through faith, and that has always been the way of salvation. You believe God, and he saves you. Romans 4, Paul talks about this, Romans 4. What then shall we say that Abraham... Our father, according to the flesh, has found. Now he's speaking here particularly to Jews because he's talking about his father according to the flesh. So this is the biological ancestor. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wage is not counted according to grace, but according to what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes upon him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing on the man to whom God counts righteousness apart from works, blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. Salvation has always been by grace through faith. The law was established. The perfect moral law, Paul says it's perfect in, in Romans, the perfect moral law that we have all broken, beginning with Adam right down to today. That perfect moral law condemns us because we are all lawbreakers. But Jesus Christ came. God in human flesh, fully God, fully man, truly God, truly man, holy God, holy man, however you want, holy, W-H. 
He is God, very God of very God, but he was man. He is man. He's still man. Once those, the, once the hypostatic union took place and the divine nature of God was joined to the, uh, the human nature in the person of Jesus, then indeed that hypostatic union is of the, the two natures, two natures existing perfectly in one person, yet not intermingled, distinct. That, that hypostatic union that took place at the incarnation remains. But being perfectly human, he kept the law that we can't keep. And then he died a death he didn't deserve to pay for the sins of all who would come to him by faith. And when we come to him by faith, we see that our sins were nailed to the cross and paid for. And we receive in the place of our sin his perfect righteousness. And, and that is why we can stand before the throne of God because we are clothed in the divine righteousness of Christ, not in our own sinful unrighteousness. So, it's always been by grace through faith. So, what was the purpose of the law? The purpose of the law, if you, and we'll get into this later, there was the the purpose of giving the law to Israel was two things. First, this is the summary of God's moral law. It is here we must go to see how God has determined right and wrong. The basis of all human law, all just human law, is found in the Ten Commandments. That's why for generations, the Ten Commandments have been posted in courthouses all across the United States, because the Ten Commandments are the basis of human law. There is, I believe, if I'm remembering correctly, a mural of Moses coming down the mountain with the tablets of the Ten Commandments in the Capitol building, because he was the first, he was the lawgiver who brought the law from God and gave it to Israel, and the Congress is the lawgiver for the United States. So all just human law is based in the Ten Commandments. These are God's moral standards. Therefore, they condemn us before God because we don't live up to them. But they also provide for us guidance in how we are to strive to live. Now, specifically, in the Mosaic Covenant, which was made between God and Moses at Mount Sinai, the writer of the Hebrews tells us that the, the Mosaic Covenant has been done away. Mount Sinai has been done away with, with the New Covenant. Jeremiah says the same thing in Jeremiah 30, that the, the New Covenant that God made in Christ replaces the Old Covenant. But it doesn't replace God's moral law. Because the law of Christ is still the same moral law. And so the Ten Commandments guide us in how we are to live our lives, how we are to define right and wrong. And so the, the Ten Commandments are still very important to the, the, the Christian today. But it, there was also a case for Israel that if they kept the commandment, they would be blessed 
in their time in the land. If they violated the commandment, they would be cursed. And when we get to the end of Deuteronomy and we look at the blessings and the curses, they are prophetic. They are not just warnings. Because Moses says, when all these things come upon you, <laughs> it wasn't if, it was when. They were going to disobey. Um, and the disobedi disobedience of the Mosaic Covenant went beyond falling short of keeping the standards. The disobedience that Israel expressed of the Mosaic Covenant was an intentional disobedience. They went counter to the law. It wasn't just they tried and failed. It was that they didn't even try. The law said turn right, they turned left. The law said go up, they went down. And, and it was intentional rebellion. Um, we'll get to that later. Spurgeon's Catechism, question number 40. What did God reveal to man for the rules of his obedience? The answer, the rule which God first revealed to man for his obedience is the moral law. Spurgeon's Catechism, question 41. What is the sum of the Ten Commandments? The sum of the Ten Commandments is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength, and with all our mind, and our neighbors as ourselves. Matthew 22, 37-40, which, which is summarized in the Ten Commandments. So when Jesus said in Matthew 22 that the first and greatest commandment was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, that covers what we call the first table of the law. The first table of the law, the, the Ten Commandments, deals with our relationship with God. And then he says to love our neighbor as ourselves is the second most important commandment. That covers the second table of the law, which is a reflection of how we are to relate to each other. And, and so keep that in mind as we go through the Ten Commandments in the coming weeks. The ACNA Catechism, question number 257, and this is a, a book that was actually written by uh, J.I. Packer many years ago, modified and adopted by the ACNA in 2019. There they say, question number 257, what are the Ten Commandments? It says, the Ten Commandments are the summary and outline of God's law. So there we have it. The Ten Commandments is the summary of the law of Moses. And we've got that both from a Baptist and an Anglican position. I did not look it up in the Roman Catholic documents or Eastern Orthodox documents. One thing, Eastern Orthodox documents are very hard to find and even harder to understand. It's like they're being in, intentionally obscure, but we won't go into that. And the Roman Catholics order the commandments differently because they include the second commandment and the first commandment, and they split the tenth commandment into two, so they still have ten. But they had to obscure the make no graven images commandment because their churches are full of them. But that's a discussion for another time as well. Now, verse, verse, uh, chapter 5, verses 2 and 3 say, Yahweh our God cut a covenant with us at Horeb. Horeb is Mount Sinai. 
Yahweh did not cut this covenant with our fathers, but with us, with all of those, all those of us alive here today. What is he talking about? This is interpreted in two ways. One, this is interpreted as being a contrast with the Abrahamic covenant, where the fathers, in verse 3 there, he says, that did not cut this covenant with our fathers. Who are the fathers there? They say, well, the fathers are Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the patriarchs. And God made a, made a covenant with Abraham, and he repeated it to Isaac and Jacob. But that covenant wasn't this covenant, which it wasn't. And so this covenant was made with us, not with our fathers. That's option number one. Option number two is contrasting to the prior generation, which has died, because remember, the generation that actually stood at the foot of Mount Sinai is now dead. They had to wander in the wilderness because they disobeyed God and refused to enter the land when he told them to. They had to wander into the wilderness for 40 years until that entire generation died off. And as I said, the writer to the Hebrews said, they died in unbelief. So we're looking at a generation of unbelievers. And that covenant was made with them. They're the ones that stood at the mountain. They're the ones who were standing there in Exodus 19 and 20 that we just looked at. They've all died. And look what Moses says. But with He didn't make it with our fathers, but with us, with all those of us alive here today. So he could be contrasting to the prior generation, which has died. And that's, I kind of gave it away. That's kind of which way I lean here. That he's not referring back to the patriarchs. He's referring to the generation which has passed away. And he's saying that, yes, they were there, but the covenant was made with them and their seed. And you are their seed. Therefore, the covenant was made with you. And since they didn't believe, they didn't receive the blessings, they didn't obey. So really, the covenant was made with you. So it's, this is your opportunity to keep the covenant. <coughs> Excuse me. Don't inhale the coffee. Coffee has a low <laughs> coffee has a low oxygen content. It is not to be breathed. Pardon me. Oh. Came out my nose. Alrighty. So that's my take that he's actually referring to the generation that has died and he's he's emphasizing to the generation that's about to enter into the promised land that this covenant was made with you even though you weren't born yet. You know, the oldest of you were children. Most of you weren't even born. This covenant was made with you, not with our fathers. But I wanted to point out that the, the Abrahamic covenant and the, the covenant made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is certainly a, pro, a, a possibility here. Because the law, the Ten Commandments, the Mosaic law was not given to Abraham. And so we need to understand a couple of things. The Abrahamic covenant is unconditional and eternal. God cut a covenant with, with Abraham 
But Abraham did not participate in the covenant-making ceremony. God walked between the pieces of the animals alone. He didn't walk in with Abraham. So the Abrahamic covenant is a covenant that God made with himself. There was no requirement on Abraham's part. It was God saying, this is what I'm going to do. And then um, the Mosaic covenant is temporal and conditional. So Abrahamic covenant, eternal and unconditional. It lasts forever. It's never done away with. That's, that's one of the things a lot of people, they look at the, the, the new covenant made with Christ, the new covenant talked about in Jeremiah, and they well, it replaces the, the Abrahamic covenant. No, not at all. It replaces the covenant at Sinai. Because the covenant of Sinai was always temporary. It was temporal. It took place in time. So the covenant made at Sinai deals with the nation of Israel living in the land and receiving God's blessing. That covenant was done away with at the cross. That was the symbolism of the veil in the temple being torn from top to bottom. The old covenant was done away with. We are under the new covenant. But God's moral law hasn't changed. What was right and wrong 4,000 years ago, or 3,000 years ago, at Mount Sinai, 1440 B.C., somewhere in there, you know, 3,500 years ago, what was right and wrong then is still right and wrong now, and it was right and wrong when Adam and Eve stepped out of the garden. Right and wrong hasn't changed because right and wrong are a reflection of the very nature and character of God. I'm talking about moral right and wrong, absolute right and wrong. They are a reflection of who God is, and God is not, God is unchangeable. God is immutable. Therefore, right and wrong are immutable. So there are, there are, Provisions in the law and keeping the Mosaic Covenant that applied to Israel from 1440 B.C. until roughly 30 A.D. when Christ died and the New Covenant was established. So, that's that. Um, and there's my opinion on that. And, and Deuteronomy 5.4, he says, Yahweh spoke to you face to face at the mountain from the midst of the fire. Now remember, they weren't there. They hadn't been born yet. But Moses is pointing out that they were given this covenant, even though they weren't there. Which also means they are bound by the promise to obey the covenant that their parents made and broke. Remember when we read through Exodus 19 and 20, all that the Lord says we will do. And they didn't. So, but the obligation still lies on this generation because the covenant was made not to a group of individuals, but to a nation, to a genealogy. And so it's there. Then verses, verse 5 
I was standing between Yahweh and you at that time to declare to you the word of Yahweh, for you were afraid because of the fire and did not go up the mountain. Honestly, I think one of the reasons why Israel was filled with... There's a holy fear of God. And that is the, 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 the deep, deep, deep seriousness with which we are to take God. Understanding who he is and just what exactly we owe him is an awesome thought to contemplate. And so we stand in fear of God. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of God is part and parcel with living quorum Deo, before the face of God, living in the presence of God. There is a great and deep respect that is rightfully categorized as fear. Not fear that he's going to do something unpredictable or he's going to do something unexpected. You know, the, the, that's not the fear. That's not the holy fear of the Lord. The holy fear of the Lord is a deep, 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 almost inexpressible respect and awe at his great and mighty power. And that is something that we all need to keep in mind as we go through each and every day. The fear of the Lord that Israel was experiencing in Exodus 20, looking again at what I, you know, what we know about the fact that they were unbelievers, that was a terror of judgment. They were under the wrath of God, and in his presence, they felt it. And rather than repent and put their faith in God and trust him for salvation, they rejected him. They wanted nothing to do with him. So even while they said they would obey him, they didn't really want anything to do with him. And that's what they were saying. You were afraid because of the fire and did not go up the mountain. Now, again, it sounds like Moses is addressing people that were actually there. And he's not. He's addressing the children of the people that were actually there. Although, as I said, the, the oldest of them may have been alive. You know, but I would say everybody standing at this address in Deuteronomy was 50 and under. So they had been, the oldest of them had been 10 or younger when Mount Sinai happened. So, I mean, I remember stuff from when I was seven and eight and something like Mount Sinai would probably stick in my mind. I remember I must've been, oh gosh, well, it was prior to being 10 and it was several years prior to being 10. So six, seven, eight, there was a oil petroleum storage facility in the Atlanta area that caught fire. And you had these huge giant petroleum storage tanks 
you know, four or five stories high, big round, not not towers because they look short and squat, but short and squat, but they were big round, you know, four or five stories high tanks of petroleum products that were on fire. It was called the, I believe it was the Doraville Fire. I remember the name. Might have to Google it. It's been a long time since I've even thought about it. I remember that. And one of the reasons I remember is my dad put us in the car and we drove by it several miles away, but we could see it because he wanted to see it and he took us with us. So I remember that awesome scene of, you know, I mean, from, from miles away. I mean, it wasn't like we were, you know, right next to it. We were miles away, but we were on a hill on the interstate in Atlanta. I don't know if it was I-70 or if it was the perimeter, you know, the 4, 470 or whatever the number is of the, the, the perimeter freeway. We always just called it the perimeter, the, the freeway that circles Atlanta. And I don't know what road we were on. I'm not sure where Doraville is. I, like I said, I would have to, to Google it and find out. But I remember we were on the interstate in a long line of very slow-moving traffic because everybody else was looking to... And it was like, you know, rush hour in, in, on the 405 in L.A. Everybody was crawling because we were all trying to get a good look. And there was this, I remember that. That was an awesome, that, the, the fire. I remember the color. I remember the smoke. I remember the sound. You could hear a roar of the fire. And like I said, we were probably several miles away. Who knows how, they probably weren't letting us get very close. Um, but the fire was that big that we could see it, but we were up on a hill because I remember I could see it. I could see the flames. That has stuck with me all these years, and I, like I said, I don't even remember how old I was. You know, between five and seven, maybe? So the, the events of Mount Sinai would be remembered by these children. The, the, now the oldest of the Israelites, they would have remembered that. But the younger ones hadn't even been born. I don't think everybody under the age of 40 hadn't even been born there. But Moses is addressing them as if they were there because they were, because they were in their parents. This is the same, this, this is an imputed covenant. Just like Adam's sin is imputed to us. You know, we weren't there in the garden. We didn't eat of the tree, the tree of the fruit of the tree of good and evil. Adam and Eve did. Yet, Scripture tells us that when Adam fell, we were in Adam. Well, in the same way, when Israel, the the Hebrew nation that that the, those that were alive when they left Egypt in the Exodus, when they accepted the covenant at Sinai, their children were in them. And so their children were under the same covenant because the covenant was multi-generational. And just as this second generation, the third generation would be under the covenant. The covenant would continue. So here, here's what we see. And, and so that's why Moses is, is addressing them as if they were there. Because 
in a very real but spiritual sense they were. All right, well, that's our introduction to the Ten Commandments. We will begin next week when we return to our study Bible level Bible study. We will start looking at the Ten Commandments themselves, probably looking at, you know, maybe a couple a week, um, or a couple a day maybe, so we might get through four a week. I don't know. I'm, we'll, we'll figure it out. I haven't written the notes for those episodes yet, but we will start that next Tuesday. All right, let us recite together our faith from the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now the collect for grace. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, almighty and everlasting God, who has safely brought us to the beginning of this day, defend us in the same with thy mighty power, and grant that this day we fall into no sin, neither run into any kind of danger, but that all our doings may be ordered by thy governance to do always that is righteous in thy sight. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. All right, folks. Tomorrow we got Theology Thursday. We're returning to the 1689, starting a new chapter tomorrow, I believe. I have to go back and look at those notes. I haven't done those notes yet either. <laughs> um, that'll be my task for today. So we'll be uh, back in the 1689 tomorrow. Friday, we'll be back in Federalist Friday, looking at the Federalist Papers. And then we're in the weekend. We're halfway through the week, folks. It's getting there. All right, as you go through the day today, remember, do the things you ought to do. Don't do the things you ought not do. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of the Lord. We'll see you again here tomorrow for another episode of Squirrel Chatter. Take care. God bless. Squirrel Chatter is recorded in front of a live studio hamster.